0: Your place to be. I won't cry,
1: Maple syrup is the best. It's so good,
0: though. I won't cry. Just
1: be present with me and love me. I won't cry, Mick. Wow. 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 Wow when they started doing this weird
2: hello. 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 <laughs> you know it's not the end in sight i think that's the beginning that's in sight that we're seeing the beginning of something really new something we've never seen before we don't know exactly how it's going to unfold i think of course Crypto and blockchain will be playing
0: a role. Okay, guys, welcome back to the America Show. Probably the final non-local episode we're going to be doing here. Graham is about fully bounced back. We'll be back in studio Wednesday streaming again. All that fun stuff. We're going to be talking to Ashley Rinsberg a little bit later about his book. I think it's The Grey Lady Speaks. The Grey Lady Winks. The Grey Lady Winks. It's a good wink. one. Great wink. Good. Uh, yeah. It was in, a fun chat. in
1: the New York Times. The yeah. Lady. yeah. It's a
0: lot of, it's like a breakdown of the New York Times and all that. Hopefully this doesn't turn out to be one of those like weird episodes that gets us kicked off YouTube that we didn't see coming. Yeah, exactly. We've yeah. gone to great pains to sort of avoid that, but uh, I digress. Uh, it's a great chat. I really enjoyed it. I did. Well, I, I went into it having no yeah. idea what we were going to talk about. Like no idea, which is what I like. And uh, I thought it was going to be like not about the New York Times, but I mean, yeah, I could I talk know. about the it's, New York it was Times all day.
1: There's a great book, and and I kind of dropped the ball, to be honest. With you. I'm going to blame COVID on it, but I had I had some notes uh, to talk to Ashley about truth because he wrote, you know, he he wrote about some of this in his book, and I thought, you know, lately I've been I've been sort of harping on you know, how people say, well, how do you know that that's true? And I'm like, well, I don't know that that's true. It doesn't matter. I know that's not true. Like it seems to be so much easier to deconstruct what's not true these days, especially based on bogus headlines and stories. And, you know, you can say, well, that's bullshit, but that doesn't mean that I know exactly what the truth is in the situation or, you know, but it seems so much easier to deconstruct what's not true these days. But he, But he's got a quote, I'm going to read a quote from his book here, because it kind of, this is the part that I wish I would have talked to him about. But he says, it often seems that not a week goes by in which the times is not the subject of headlines, often its own, related to stories of journalistic failings, malfeasance, and interseen newsroom skirmishes. While these stories serve as appetizing table scraps for the millions of cultural critics, self-appointed and otherwise, who make up today's social media-fueled news environment, in reality, they point... Readers... Hang on a sec. Oh, I'm using the wrong mouse. In reality, they point to deeper questions that cut to the core of our society. few questions today are more salient or more vital than ones we're asking about truth. Like, who determines the truth? How do we know when it's true? Does it even matter? Can my truth be different from your truth? And what happens if it is? These issues have arisen alongside a parallel question about lies and falsehood. And then he goes on like that chapters where he goes on about the uh the je- the how basically the seed for this book was planted when he stumbled across a footnote In a work of history about the Second World War, William Shearer's famed the rise and fall of the Third Reich. In the footnote, Shearer mentioned almost casually that on the eve of the outbreak of the Second World War, the New York Times reported that Poland had invaded Germany. I was shocked by this barely noticed fact in the middle of a tome of history. It stopped me in my tracks. How could the great American newspaper, whose standards for excellence are known around the world, have reported the very opposite of what we now consider to be an unassailable fact, an idea fundamental to our understanding of the war, that Germany invaded Poland as the opening salvo of Hitler's scheme to conquer Europe? Yeah, so it just, that was kind of like the start of the whole, you know, the whole book on how, he he f- found so many of these lies in, in the New York Times history and how it affects us. Um, but yeah, the truth part is interesting because it's, it's um, you know, who determines the truth, right? And does it matter? Like, to, to me, the truth matters less than the lies. The lies are more important.
0: We're in a post-truth world. To- totally. Hey, before I forget... Did that Rockfin episode that you recorded work out? What do you mean? Did you make sure it worked and everything? Yeah. And timestamp it. Yeah. Okay. I just wanted to think of it before I forgot about it because I remember you were, you were last time I talked to you, I had your like fingers crossed, hoping it would work out. Of course, I missed the episode because I was on Tim Full Hat.
1: Yeah, which which I wanted to actually read some feedback about right now. Oh, uh, should looks we use like this as an excuse to of...
0: play the new new jingle? Sure. Okay, this jingle was... No, uh, at least some of it. Does he say, say where we can mention his name?
1: I think his name is Darren. Here,
0: I'll read the... What? <laughs> Hi, Darryl Graham. Mackey. Hi, Graham. A couple of episodes back, I noticed you guys didn't have a jingle for listener feedback. When you read an email that was sent in, well, in the interest of value for value, I wrote and recorded a jingle for that segment, so you attached. Feel free to slice or dice it if you need to for time's sake. I also have an idea that is a variation on this jingle for Outlawed if you would like me to knock that out. Here are the lyrics in case you needed them. I won't uh, read the lyrics. You guys can probably pick them up. I love your shows and happy to hear you're on the mend from the Coof. Slap Darren in the back of the head. F- what? <laughs> in the back of the head for me and tell him Don't to tell be, him nice. be nice. From Duran. I'm always nice.
1: Oh, people know
0: that you're not nice to me. You're just. I am nice to you. I'm no, like, a, I'm like, a am a rough like, big brother. I'm a little Rammy, hard on you're you. You're a Rammy big brother. I'm just trying to get the best study. I'm trying to get the <laughs> best study. Cause everyone's always coddling you. I feel like Graham gets coddled on the show. I get the harsh feedback. Graham gets coddled. So I try to make up for that so that we can make you the best possible podcaster. Damn, and okay. I mean, bro, I got to call you out on the mispronunciations. Oh, yeah, to. that's fine. I don't mind <laughs> that.
1: Yeah. So, anyways, you got some pretty damn good feedback
0: from. Sorry. <laughs>
3: Listen to feedback. Listen a feedback. Listen. To
0: That's pretty good, yeah. That is pretty we good. Can
1: maybe, yeah. Maybe slice it down, get it a little shorter, a little. Yeah, a little, little quicker. Concise, get down but... to
0: like the twenty seconds ish is a good yeah. jingle length. But that's yeah. great. Sorry, there was a little silence. I'd already hit play, and then there was oh, a of okay. silence before it kicked in.
1: So yeah, you got a lot of good feedback from your episode on Tinfoil Hat. Um, it seems to me, anyways, from what I'm seeing.
0: You, I haven't you got any know. negative feedback yet, so that's good. So
1: here's here's one. Darren, I'm in the middle of listening to your visit to Sam Tripoli's TFH, and I had to stop the pod to say thank you for breaking down the residential school issue. It is wonderful hearing it from an Indigenous person's perspective versus the white rich lady in yoga pants crying about it in the studio. So thank you for breaking that all down. I definitely want to check out your book. Secondly, I stopped the pod because I totally related to you saying you won't support businesses that go along with this passport shit. I've said that I won't print out my Vax Pass. Maybe it's real. Maybe it isn't. But regardless, I've said that I'm done with society. and won't play these little games. It was just good to hear I'm not alone from in this sentiment. Friends don't get it wanting me always to go to pubs and events, and I am so done with society and this bullshit. Anyways, thank you from the bottom of my heart for all the wisdom you imparted on the TFH. I definitely feel less alone.
0: Oh, that's sweet. I still don't feel like I'm the best guy to be uh, talking about it, to be perfectly honest, but... About I mean, what, the residential yeah, schools? Yeah, but it doesn't seem like there's many other people that are talking about it, so... What are you gonna well, do? I think, I'll get yeah, more think fluent think in think you it as I the... go. I just, uh, I feel like I could know more, you know? I feel like I could know more. Yeah, I should write another pretty, book.
1: you're there. I think you're there. I mean.
0: I'm going to write a uh, volume two this winter, which I could dig into it a little bit more, which make me feel a little <laughs> like I'm a little more expansive on it. But yeah. luckily, Sam, we just talked about all sorts of stuff. I mean, we didn't get into the book for 30 minutes, I don't think.
1: Well, I mean, it sounds like you at least you get your yeah, point across about the book. That's good.
0: Yeah, that's great.
1: I hope you weren't making fun of me in the coof.
0: A little, a little. I knew it. A little bit. I knew it.
1: This is why people (laughs) want you to slap you on the back of the head and say, be nice.
0: I was pretty nice. Dude, I was sticking up for you at the border, I feel like. At the border? Yeah, when everyone's being mean to you. Oh my God, you
1: almost ruined the
0: whole fucking thing. How? By sticking up for your rights? This lady's yelling at you when you're sick? I kind of told the story, that's all. Because we've been kind of not talking about it. You know what I mean? We were waiting to make sure that we weren't, that everyone was okay. Now that it's, now that everybody's got through it. Okay. We're kind of talking about, you know, we, everyone got COVID at the event. Nobody cares. We had a great event. Actually, I've been talking to Henry, Henry Hablick. If you guys don't know who he is, check out his Instagram account. I think it's like H Hablick or something like that. But the dude's like a world-class tattoo artist. So I'm going to... Oh, no, uh,
1: he's a fantastic dude, man. Oh, I mean, he's fucking the coolest meeting all dude all these ever. Just yeah. meeting all these guys there. I'll put a, a link in the show notes to his uh, his stuff. But I mean, the, the group of people were unbelievable. And Henry, I remember hiking up the hill with Henry and we were talking about symbolism and all kinds of cool stuff. I mean, it's unbelievable. You should the, put in a link to that, Casey
0: and Milo's stuff too. Yeah, because they yeah. were there doing some stuff. That was great, well, fantastic have have musicians. Show. We should actually uh, collaborate with those guys and do a show for sure. Yeah, uh, okay. I was actually talking with Mark from After School on Friday, who's going to be uh, joining the team for some of this for some of the contact at the cabin events. And uh, so his girlfriend's from Edmonton, so he's just yeah. waiting to see if Canada's ever going to get its shit together, and he wants to come up and go on a hunting trip.
1: Oh wow, that'd be great. Wow, really, eh? Yeah, that's
0: fantastic. Small world. Yeah. Well, we're talking about ca- contact at the cabin. Yeah. We, we, do, we do have a new website site up. We got a brand new design, a new checkout system and all that. Uh, if you want to check out contactatthecabin.com. The next event is February. So in a few months off, it's a cheaper event. It's one of those lower price tag events that's got multiple tiered levels you can get in at. It's not a three thousand dollar van or twenty five hundred dollar van. It's Pretty only much? yeah. It's a Thursday, Friday, Saturday. We might look at doing uh, an add on Sunday night to do a, a special ceremony. We'll see. We haven't worked about that yet, but that'll be something we decide while we're there. Um, anyway, but that's going to be uh, a real a good one. I mean, it slipped out now. Actually, I shouldn't mention anything because I don't know if it got mentioned in this plus show or not. So I forget.
1: But anyways, there's going to be some fantastic people there and and Joe Roop.
0: Yep. And Brandon Powell, man, I can't say enough about Brandon Powell. The dude is a modern day shaman. No one ever sees him coming. Everyone just goes and then you do the breathing and everyone's like, what the fuck just happened to me? And then you're in the ice pool and all that stuff. And it's just like, you get so much out of, out of Brandon. It's, um,
1: are we doing the ice pools there? Oh yeah. Uh, Yeah. We'll be close to the petrified forest. In
0: Arizona we're doing the ice pools there in water outdoor water oh,
1: so nice. we're gonna have
0: ice on hand because there's gonna be snow and stuff like that in case people want to do it first thing in the morning outside the cabin stuff like that maybe we can even move it into the garage of the cabin I was actually watching an old video of Brandon's of how he does it he just had like an old freezer filled up with water and he'd just get up every morning and then there'd be like a layer of ice on it he'd break all that with the pole and he'd jump right in the freezer yeah, And then you can just have it right in your basement.
1: Yeah,
0: But anyway, uh, so we'll have the ice tub there. I'll bring the stock tank down so that we can use that now that I can, can't fly anymore. And which is fine. I'm fine with driving. I really enjoy road tripping. I really do. I mean, it sucks sometimes for the longevity of things, but luckily our lives are moving into such a way that we won't have to worry about those sorts of things. But the plan is... Because we're going to be up in Pine Top where it's cold in winter. And, but, you know, two hours down the mountain, it's warm and desert. I mean, not hot, hot, but warm. So the plan is that we can probably find somewhere in that elevation where there's some nice five degree outdoor water. That, Perfect. That we can go and do it. Because when we did it in Utah, we did it in the Virgin River at the bottom of Zion Canyon. Which was a pretty gnarly experience. So it'd be neat to do that in an, in a river, over there in Pine Top Lakeside, someplace. Maybe the lake, maybe Lakeside. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like it's beside a lake of some sort. So yeah, but that's it gonna be a great, great event. Man. It's sort of that thing where we're gonna spend a weekend figuring out how to hack life and hack your health and combine the two, and maybe get more using of,
1: kind of like a mix of ancient uh, hermetic wisdom and modern shamanism. Right
0: yeah exactly and 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 very much with the very very big twist of uh manifestation and stuff like that spun right. and not right. like magic manifestation a little like like how to manifest more practically like a practical guide to how to manifest, and then brandon's stuff is gonna get you into that mindset on. And so you're sort of in more in touch with yourself and your surroundings to get into that. So it'll be a great chat or a great event. And of course, uh, next year's Montana tour is on there. We're still taking wait lists for the Egypt trip, which is just about full. Uh, I think there's only like six spots left. That being said, I'm assuming that, you know, at least a third of the people that said they were going to come. Won't won't come through in the end. But, I mean, this is only from our audience so far. Ben's going to start talking about this. All these other shows are going to start talking about this. And this motherfucker is going to fill up fast. It's going to be down there's at most like 20 or 25 spots left for that. And I did just launch next year's Scablands Tour because since uh, After School posted some Instagram posts about it, there's been a ton of people wanting to get out to that event specifically. This is specifically. the fall, right? This is the fall? That's, yeah, the first because week, you- week one, September 19th to 25th, 2022.
1: That's back in Washington
0: then? Soap Lake Resort, baby. Back to and then, Soap Lake so, Resort. So the
1: June one, the June Scablands is is really, it's-, it's uh, Idaho, Montana.
0: Montana. Yeah. Idaho, right.
1: Montana. Okay.
0: Yeah. And the interesting thing about that is there's going to be some expansion and some renovations going on at Soap Lake. I don't know if it'll be ready for this year, next year, but it'll be definitely for the, by the year after, they're going to have some like cold pools in place on the facility that we can use and stuff like that. And little... it's
1: already an amazing place. Oh, I mean, it's great. already, like, it's already set up perfect, but. I we mean, have dude, to go man. in.
0: At the end of January, you and I and the Snake Bros and Randall and Brad are going there for the weekend to get comped and talk about uh future. Because she owns 35 acres and she says we can look at bringing in some campsites and stuff like that. So it looks like we're going to start working and almost a partnership with them as they expand and we can start using that as a hub for a lot of different events. So exciting things coming down the road. Contact at the cabin dot com. What nice. you got?
1: Well, I got Operation Himmler. I mean, if you want to do that quickly.
0: Himmler, like Hitler.
1: No, yeah. But with an M. Yeah, Himmler. I mean, I mean, Ashley talks about it in the episode a little bit, and it kind of it kind of is exactly what we were just talking about, but I can read the official thing just to... To expand on it a little bit. It's pretty interesting.
0: The official oppo. Oppo, 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 oppo. Oh, What's that noise?
3: But it looks military to me. Definitely military. Probably classified too.
2: Dishfire. Prism. Sentry Eagle. Sigma. Manirkin. Artichoke. MK Ultra. Operation Project.
1: Project operation. So this is this is Operation Himmler, uh, less often known as Operation Conserve or Operation Canned Goods. I don't know why the canned goods would be. Uh, this is from militarywikia.org, and it's uh, it's also on the normal Wikipedia. But I wanted to. Uh, use this instead and it was a false flag project planned by nazi germany to create the appearance of polish aggression against germany which was subsequently used by nazi propaganda to justify the invasion of poland operation himmler was arguably the first act of the second world war in europe so the plan months prior to the 39 invasion German newspapers and politicians like Adolf Hitler carried out a national and international propaganda campaign accusing Polish authorities of organizing or tolerating violent ethnic cleansing of ethnic Germans living in Poland. On August the 22nd, Hitler told his generals, I will provide a propagandistic casus belli Its credibility doesn't matter. The victor will not be asked whether he told the truth. The plan, named after its originator, Heinrich Himmler, was supervised by Reinhard Heydrich and primarily by Heinrich Muller. The goal of this false flag project was to create the appearance of Polish aggression against Germany, which was subsequently used to justify the invasion of Poland. Hitler also might have hoped to confuse the polish allies like the united kingdom and france to delay or prevent their declaration of war on germany so the accusi- the ecu- um, execution Accusation.
0: execution Ooh.
1: the operations were mostly carried out on august 31st 39 and the uh, as well as the main german offensive was originally scheduled for the 26th of august this shifting diplomatic situation resulted in delays until the 31st of August, September 1st. But one of the German undercover units was not informed and carried out its attack on a German customs post. Several Germans were killed before the incident ended. The operations were carried out by agents of the SS and the SD. The German troops dressed in Polish uniforms would storm various border buildings, scare the locals with inaccurate shots, carry out acts of vandalism, and retreat, leaving behind dead bodies in Polish uniforms. Uh, The bodies were, in fact, prisoners from concentration camps. They were dressed in Polish uniforms, killed often by lethal injection of a poison, then shot for appearance, and left behind. They were described as conserve i.e. canned goods in planning documents which also led to the more informal name of the operation operation conserve there were several there were several separate separate operations including staged attacks on this german radio station sender gewitz uh, this was arguably the most notable of operation himmler operations and then the german customs station at Hochlinden And also the forest service station in Pitchen. So the aftermath, there was a speech at the Reichstag. Hitler cited the 21 border incidents as justification for Germany's defensive action against Poland. Here's a quote. I can no longer find any willingness on the part of the Polish government to conduct serious negotiations with us. These proposals for mediation have failed because in the meanwhile there first of all came as an answer the sudden Polish general mobilization followed by more Polish atrocities. These were again repeated last night. Recently in one night there was as many as 21 frontier incidents. Last night there were 14 of which three were quite serious. I have therefore... Resolved to speak to Poland in the same language that Poland for months past has used towards us. This night, for the first time, Polish regular soldiers fired on our own territory. Since 5.45 a.m., we have been returning the fire. I will continue the struggle no matter against whom until the safety of the Reich and its rights are secured.
0: Heil Hitler. That was him, yeah. Was it? Yep. The man himself. The just just
1: fucking propagandizing.
0: Propagandizing like a motherfucker. Uh, these motherfuckers learn from the best, isn't it? I mean, I feel like... I was talking to Dave Matheson the other day, and he's like, you gotta get just get out of your head that the there's any left or right in the government anymore. It's just blue Nazis oh, and red Nazis. <laughs> 100%, yeah. Anyway... Um, I don't think you have that problem. I
1: mean, compared to most people. What do you mean, me personally? You don't have a left and right
0: perception. No. No, but I still like to bust Dave's balls, uh, mostly about Atlas Shrugged.
1: Right.
0: I mean, that's what it, that's how this always devolves. When I, anyway, I'm not going to get into that. He likes Fahrenheit 451, though. So anyway, Dave's a great guy. I love Dave. I'm not going to sit here and say anything negative about him. He's a little alt left, but that's okay. I mean, we need all different strokes for all different folks. Um, you narrating again yet? Uh, I'm gonna start. Yeah, sounds like you're not quite there yet. You might have trouble. Are you gonna do like a warmer upper book?
1: Yeah, I got. I have a. I have a small. I have a book to do.
0: Excellent. Of course, if well, I will wants let to you, you
1: know, I will let you know how it goes. It's, it's going to be fun.
0: Yeah. Of course you got, uh, I don't know if we, have we mentioned it on this show yet that you've officially got ISIS unveiled volume one is officially for sale. Go to audible.
1: That's a great book. Better than the secret doctrines. I think
0: that's your favorite one so far.
1: Yeah. Out of Blavatsky's, is my favorite one. Yeah. We'll see what this, what, what ISIS unveiled too is. It's, this, the religion I think this one was science this is religion it might be a bit oof, might be a bit a little bit little more esoteric and a little bit harder to grasp
0: yeah so adultbrain.ca or you can go to I mean one thing you can do you just go to audible or iTunes wherever you get in your audiobooks if you type in Graham Dunlop all the stuff he's narrated is going to pop up right away so you can type adult brain in there that'll work as well um and that gets you all that stuff. I think we're up to 20, 24 titles now for sale on there. So there's all this. And your
1: book, too. Don't forget. And
0: my book, which is narrated by Graham. And it's also for sale on Amazon, A Canadian Shame, if you're looking for that. Uh, adult Brandy. I mean, if you grab the audiobooks, grab my book. All that stuff helps support the show. Of course, you can also just go over to slash support if you're getting some value from the show. It's adding some, some some fun or some spunk or some info or just making your commute or your day job or your workout or your dog walk or wherever you're listening to the show, however you listen, wherever you listen, if it's adding some value to that, maybe you can have to slash support. You decide what that's worth to you. Pack of gum, bag of chips, coffee, movie, cable subscription. You decide, sign up for a monthly of any desired amount there, or you can do a one-time donation, donation, even. Um, of course, you can also just head over to America, Outlaw.ca, Check out that podcast, another show, another weekly show we're doing that comes out on Fridays. Actually, it seems like the CAC tapes is a hit, but a few people sign up for Plus to get that second half. This It's a juicy one. I mean, I kind of seen that coming. The bros, the snake bros are in there getting more political than they usually get. And Ben's in there. And, you know, the COVID at the cabin story comes out. It's just, uh, it's a good one. That's the CAC tapes. Uh, grandamericaoutlaw.ca. sign up for plus please. Good God. Can you still sign up for the newsletter just by going grandamerica.ca slash news?
1: No, it's gone. I think I meant to, uh, yeah. I, I, I'll talk I, to yeah, the web we guy. Figure. The
0: web guy has, uh, left the country due Uh-oh. to the clampdown to of the Get Canadian government. The uh, he's gone to the Ukraine to see how the winter goes in Canada.
1: So it's a good thing he's a web guy. So he
0: should be able to still help us out, or he should be able to still help us out. Yeah. Okay. No I mean, he's where still, he is. Like, I can still phone him. He's still got the same phone number. Okay. So hopefully, I mean, it's fine. It will be fine. It's fine.
1: <laughs> Tell him to, to put aside a place in the Ukraine for, for us,
0: dude. I'm gonna talk to uh, B Rad here this afternoon about. I think uh, Montana's the spot. We should talk about it. Because I think Brad's getting ready to do something down there that we might be able to piggyback on and and start just have a couple acres down there that we could do something on if we want. Yeah. Like retreat to when Canada goes full on fucking fascist. Yeah. They're heading there, that's for sure. It It seems to be heading there fast. It seems to be heading there fast. So I was like, you know. If I could start paying a few hundred bucks a month to have just a spot to bring my camper to start out in Montana, whatever it takes. Yeah. I mean, it might be might be a um a nice security blanket right now. Because I mean a is be big and flat. I feel like we could even sneak into Montana if we had to. Just yeah. go fucking cruising through a field and then once we're in, we're just scream refugee. <laughs> anyway you got anything else sounds like your voice is just about running out over there
1: yeah it's just about out uh, that's about it for me buddy
0: spam Graham. let them know how you're feeling graham at graham dot com. hit them up with your stories your synchros trip reports general feedback we love you guys enjoy this chat with uh ashley rinsburg ashley rinsburg
1: Rinsberg with us. She's been he's been an uh, Israeli based author who's uh, focused on struggle for truth and the meaning in this age of crisis. And I mean, this is an unbelievable book he's written here. The Grey Lady Winked, how the New York Times misreporting distortions and fabrications radically alter history. And I mean, it's just I don't know if this the, t- the timing for this thing seems to be just really, really good. But uh, what a what an amazing book! Thanks for uh, writing it, Ashley, and coming on to talk about it.
2: Thank you guys. I appreciate you having me. And um, uh, just coincidentally, the audio book has just come out late <laughs> last week. So if people I know, I know reading these days is like
1: oh, I would have got
2: it. There you go. Like you draw you thought that hard pack, the hardcover book onto the coffee table. It's like very intimidating. So the audio for the commute or for just kind of like interstitial listening is now available.
1: Oh, yeah, that's great. Fantastic. That's good news.
0: That's great. So, I listen to like four audiobooks a week.
2: yeah, it's such a great format. It's a game changer for me, I think for for so many people, just because you can you can be in different uh, different modes of life and still be consuming this great stuff. so yeah and the fiction, yeah, I, I feel like it takes a lot of the
0: fiction to another level. I really think that the yeah, people who thought the yeah. ebooks were coming for the books were were sorely mistaken. I don't think the ebooks will ever replace the books unless they make them um mm-hmm. i can see that in the sales of my book you probably see that in the sales of your book it's on average i think yeah. 10 to 1 for a paperback to an ebook i mm-hmm. think audio could wow. could change that i think the audiobook market is coming up i've heard a couple of big authors say 50 50.
2: makes sense yeah it's so popular it's and it's such a strong format um yeah and i'm, and I'm sure it, you know it differs across genres um, I don't know, I don't know what the ratios with, with the gray lady winked in terms of ebook print, but, um, but you know, just have, just meeting people where they are. That's the important thing.
0: Did you narrate it yourself?
2: No, I did not. Actually, I considered it. Um, I, I didn't feel like it would be something that would give readers a great experience because of the difficulty of it, you know, really being, having that voice and having the energy, I think it's a very specific thing. and um, I had a friend, I have a friend of mine who I went to college with, and her name is Asosa indosima and she's an, a, an, a Nigerian-American actor, actress, um, who's amazing. And we have, we go way back to college college cornell university um in the early 2000s and i asked her to do it i thought it would be just really different to do have an african-american woman reading this book by me in a voice that's really not so-called my voice but she's still able to like elicit the right tone and the right delivery um, in a way that i never would have been able to so um that's who did it and i think the the result was great awesome excellent
1: so, I i mean, there's so much to get into here with the book because I was just listening to, I mean, just to read the, the title, you know, you mentioned how it could all, it alters history, right? Like this. Mm-hmm. But I was just before we started uh, chatting here, I was listening to uh, one of my favorite Canadian lawyers rant about uh, the New York Times <laughs> and how they, they had just, they had completely um, uh, got this wrong this thing wrong about all these kids uh, being hospitalized due to COVID, you know, mm-hmm. and they can't, yeah. they're you're, yeah. you know, the, the, retractions never work. Right. But these guys get yeah. busted over and over and over again. So not That's only right. changing our history, but changing our future, you know, they're yeah. changing what's happening in the future here and they don't get held That's accountable. Right. How can it be that nowadays in this disinformation age where we can get busted for talking about vitamin D Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, they can talk about the, the hundreds of, like thousands of kids. They're, they're yeah. off. They're off by these marks. Like it,
2: it makes you they a headache. By, they were off by, in that, that was a recent thing with, um, a, a New York times science reporter of all people who reported that deaths of children in the US were in the order of something, she says something insane, like 900,000 kids died, like something you just couldn't believe. Just if you like looked at the number, you're like, okay, that's obviously wrong. But that's what she published. And it, it's something closer to like, I don't know, 6,000 or something, two orders of magnitude less, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this, this is the New York Times reporter who was very much at the center of the campaign to discredit lab leak for the last two years. She was the one who was tweeting about um, LabLeak being, quote-unquote, inherently racist. The idea that the the Chinese lab that studies coronaviruses might have accidentally leaked the coronavirus into the world, in her mind, is racist. So that, that is 100 percent it. I mean, that's really what it is. And they print a tiny little correction. The Those eggs are not going to get unscrambled. And that's that's all there is to it. There is no real accountability. There is no one holding their feet to the fire and they're not doing it themselves because they know they can get away with this stuff because there's so much of it. There's so much of the misreporting. There's so much of what I call malfeasance. And you're right to say, this is not just historical. It is about our future. And even more so, it's about our reality, our present. They edit reality just as much as they edit the news.
0: And it's probably par for the course. I mean, that's the thing that I don't think. I mean, if anything, this last couple of decades where you get to see through that, that is the anomaly here. The anomaly isn't that they're changing the history and the future and the present all of the time, or they're changing reality mm -hmm. in real time all of the time. I think they've been doing that for the last couple of thousand years. The Mm -hmm. anomaly is that this internet snuck in on them, maybe. But that to me is the anomaly. The anomaly is that we see through it at all. That, that there's even vitamin D to talk about because 30 or 40 years ago, there wouldn't have been because we wouldn't have heard about mm-hmm. that.
2: Yeah, I think that's true. I, I think that the independent media and the fact that, you know, it, it used to be, it used to operate the media a bit like a cartel. Like there was just, you know, industry-wide omerta, like you just didn't talk about certain things within the industry, but that doesn't, there was, I think um, there was a level of accountability in the past, not at the New York times per se, but in the media, and if some of the stuff that I write about in the gray lady winked, for example, is when they were calling the Berlin Olympics of 1936, the Nazi Olympics, the greatest sporting event of all time. Other major newspapers were reporting the opposite, that it was a devastating blow, um, a propaganda victory for the Nazis. And so so there was some counterbalance in the past. And I think that's a lot because in the past, these media companies were more independent than they are today. What independence they once had, what little they did have, is now essentially gone because all these major media companies and brands have been absorbed by three or four mega conglomerates. We're talking, you know, Comcast, um, Viacom, Disney, um, companies on that scale are really the ones that are calling the shots. Maybe they're not like writing the headlines at the Washington post or wherever else, but there's influence involved and there are lines that are not crossed and there's an agenda that's carried. And that's now pretty much across the board because it's very hard to escape the influence of big business in the news media. It's, I would say almost impossible today.
0: And we've got this new thing where they're, they're able to like, um, block dns and stuff like that whereas like we're not getting the the news that's coming out of europe anymore or we're not getting and what we think we're getting you know who knows who knows mm-hmm. i mean it's this weird sort of thing that i had a buddy that was here quarantining with me for a couple of weeks kyle uh, waiting to go back to montreal and it was interesting because he's a big world war ii buff and uh mm-hmm. and we were kind of going back and forth on that the whole time where i was like well. Because he's very new to all this. Like, you know, he's the first to say that if this was two years ago, I'd be the guy demanding to see your VAX passport. Um, mm-hmm. He's very fresh into the, into the alternative, and he blames us for a lot of that or credits us or whichever way you want to look at it. But, mm-hmm. you know, we started getting into the World War II thing where I'm saying, well, if they're controlling the narrative this much now, bro, how much of that World War II th- shit do you think is is on point? And I, mm-hmm. I like I'm, I'm sure some of it is, but how how hard would it have been? Because there's no Graham and I, and and arguably there's there's a lot less Ashley's running around in those days too. Because there's just let's let's be honest, the the, the information just isn't there in a lot of ways, other than from these top down sources.
1: Like the New York Times.
0: Like the which New is, York Times. I mean, which, this is what I talk about now where I'm saying it doesn't matter what the New York Times is typing today because the New York Times isn't printing stories for today. They're printing stories for 50 years from now, for 60 years now, so they can pull up these historical headlines and and our kids' kids will be like, whoa. but And we won't be here anymore. to be like, well, wait a second. No, 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 no. It wasn't like that. Or maybe mm-hmm. some of us will be, but I don't know, man. I just read – Fahrenheit 451 again over the weekend and it was uh, that whole digital fucking movement. It brings us so eerily close to that. It's crazy. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I was really hoping that Ashley could get into some of the world war two stuff because that's Darren, like Darren's one of his, uh, his favorite sort of topics. And I mean, I was blown away in that chapter when you started to uncover you know started to uncover all these things it seemed like it seemed like you even weren't quite realizing how bad it was when you look mm-hmm. at, at all the lies that the that the uh, the gray lady uh, just per- per- perpetuates you know creating like her they're creating a reality it's not even a gatekeeper it's not even anything like that they're creating their own fucking reality
2: yeah, exactly. I mean that that's that's the thing. They they've created a reality that suits their interests or serves their interests and in world war ii you know the interest was more or less what it is today which is to be number one in in news to be the new york times to maintain that position as the flagship of the american news media um it's number one outlet by prestige and uh, other metrics and in the same was the case back in world war ii and they had there a bureau that was probably one of the biggest American news bureaus in in Europe, or certainly in Berlin. And the head of that bureau was a guy named Guido Anders. And he happened to be, for whatever reasons, we don't really know much about him. Um, He kind of slipped through the fingers of history. But he happened to be a Nazi sympathizer, or I would even say a Nazi collaborator, because he was actually acting on it. He was really just covering the Nazis so favorably for for a 10-year period, and his bureau was doing that as well, that the Nazis would read their New York Times' reports on radio broadcasts as propaganda. They didn't even have to filter it, edit it. They would just read the reports. Um, and so what it produced was the New York Times, you know, it culminated in 1939 with the outbreak of World War II where, you know, Germany invades Poland. And the New York Times' lead story of that day reported that, according to a German news agency, which they mean a Nazi propaganda organ, um, Poland had actually invaded Germany. Polish guerrillas, according to the lead story of the New York Times from that day, had invaded a German radio station at Gliwice and killed a bunch of Germans, And now Hitler was just sort of going for his retribution, defending his borders, et cetera. Um, And this was all a Nazi propaganda ploy. It was called Operation Himmler, and it was designed by the Nazis. It was pulled off by them. They, They went to a German radio station. They killed a bunch of POWs, a lot of them Polish. They put them in German uniforms in this radio station to make it look as if Polish guerrillas had invaded and killed them. And... All the Nazis were looking for and Hitler was looking for was just that little wedge of time, just that little bit of initiative that he would have on his side to launch his the first of his blitz campaign into Poland and, and through that into the wider Europe. Um, and when the New York Times, which is the most important and widely read newspaper in America, prints that as the truth that day, that gave Hitler that little pause he needed, that little bit of room that he could fill because if he didn't have the advantage of that surprise, as you guys will both know, you, that's really what his military depended on, was that quick surprise, that fast thrust um, into the enemy territory. And if there had been a response by two, three or more nations, he would have been stopped in, in his tracks or at least significantly throwed, slowed down and thrown off track. So this was a major propaganda win, just as it was in 1936, three years previous, where the New York Times calls the Berlin Olympics the greatest sporting event of all time. I mean, this is they're writing about how good mannered the Nazi, the Germans are and how, um, pleasant and clean and well-organized the games were, but they never used the word Nazi once in a 3,000-some word article. They never talked about the flags lining the streets of Berlin, the fact that those flags were swastikas. They edited those games to make them seem what the Nazis wanted them to seem like, which was this great triumph for this amazing nation. And that was consistent throughout the 1930s. And Berlin's well, man I mean, of the year that. twice, right?
0: He wins yeah. Man of the Year twice in Time. In
2: in in Time magazine. That's yeah, that's right. So. You know that that was part of what was going on, or that was only one part. I'd say another part was the New York Times's coverage or their decision not to cover the Holocaust, and the third part of World War II related coverage that's in the book is the the New York Times's partnership with the Department of War concerning the the nuclear weapons program, America's nuclear weapons program, and the dropping of the bomb in Japan. So you know we could go through some of those things, but that there's kind of this this period of like 15 years where they were just creating havoc through their malfeasance, through misreporting, through pursuing their own interests rather than the truth or at the expense of the truth. Um, it, it was really quite disastrous.
0: Well, in a there, lot of ways, in my opinion, that that the Nazi regime starts to look a lot like one of those first uh, American puppet regimes in a lot of ways, um, because, I mean, now it's it's par for the course, right? Oh, that's the Americans put him in place. People people don't even bat an eye, right? But I start to look, and that, and that, that to me, I think, lids credence to that, that the New York Times, probably the paper, the OSS, or whatever it is, is sort of doing what you're talking about, you know, sort of, sort of lighting the way for them in some ways, giving them that bit of cover. And because, I mean, in my opinion, Pop- Project Paperclip's an extraction.
2: Um, okay. You, you, I'm not really familiar with the terminology, but... Well,
0: do you know Project so Paperclip? Man. No, I Project, Project Paperclip is the operation under which 20,000-plus Nazis are taken back to the U.S. after the war. Uh, they're hmm. put in charge of places like NASA, Werner von Braun right. different other okay, yeah different so do, other, helping build different other programs the rocket program mm-hmm. um, actually it looks like an ex-nazi designs the European Union almost exactly the way the Nazis wanted it to look and I believe hmm. that the guy that actually runs the first European Union is actually an ex-nazi. I I could be wrong about that, but I'm pretty sure the first guy is a Nazi or an ex-Nazi or a repatriated Mm -hmm. or whatever we're calling them. Mm -hmm. But um, when you start to look at that, it really starts to look like because, um, you know, America jumps in, Europe first, Europe first, Europe first. Then they kind of spend a couple of years floating around in the Pacific And they don't really go after Berlin until it becomes painfully obvious that the Soviets are on their way to Berlin and the Nazis aren't fucking stopping them. All of a sudden, you know, within six to eight months, uh, the allies are in Berlin and they're snatching people up. And then you get the reports of Nazis down in Argentina and things like that. Mm -hmm. Hitler's body's never actually properly identified. There's a ton of evidence that Hitler escapes with a bunch of other people. Um, and and I start to look at that, if I look through that through my 2020 glasses, it starts to look like an extraction. It starts to look like, you know, that you're getting there before. Because in my opinion, World War II was always about the Soviets. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of putting a regime in place in Europe to, to go at the Soviets um, mm-hmm. without... I guess, I mean, it didn't, I don't know exactly how that all plays out because you end up stuck in that cold war at the end of it all anyway, but that's kind of after 20 years of going through world war II. that's sort of where I've come out. I get a lot of shit from my views on world war two. Um, I don't even really talk about it a lot these days because people get fucking triggered and I just rather not get into, you know, it's, it's a troublesome topic, sure. but uh, I don't think that we really have too many history books that are hitting the nail on the head
2: yeah well you know i don't really know much about the that particular take on it um i think i i have more of a traditional viewpoint which is is not i have to admit is not the deepest so you know i'm a bit in the dark but what i do think is that the initiative to explore these things the these things that we've sort of been given as like cold hard fact and to dive in for yourself and to do you know to put in the work and also to do a to make sure it's a good faith effort to make sure you like you're you're actually searching for the truth is an incredibly important thing today when we're thinking about media and media control over so many of the so-called narratives that shape our lives and even the facts like they are really creating facts they they history, are that sort of history in a lot and, of ways and and history as well and policy and economic trends and social trends and everything else. So I think the only way to skirt that kind of control is by people doing exactly what you have done, which is to say, all right, there's this topic that just it just needles me, it just interests me. It, It gets me going. Let me go investigate it. Let me go and find out. And I think that's so much a healthier approach to media than the passive lean back approach, which we all have today, which is like, all right, what's on CNN? What's on Fox? what's on Twitter, what's on Facebook, because then you're just inundated. You're you're deluged with media and you can't question any of it because you're overloaded. You're a system overload. So I feel like that is an important shift that people need to embrace, which is saying, I'm not going to try to consume all news all trends, all ideas all entertainment, I'm going to pick one, two three things and go after them kind of switch the dynamic around and I think that is the big shift we're seeing in media today and that's the shift of independent media as well, so that people like you guys, people like myself, we can go out and do the research, we can go and do the work and present it to the world and build an audience and then the audience becomes itself um, a form of distribution, so I think that is the, the real paradigm shift we're seeing today. And a form of production
1: too, because now you can. People are funding funding these things themselves. You know, instead of going through advertisers and having that that you know model of, you know, you have to go through this certain certain gate gate. That That's right. Now now it's like people can just. You know, there's a couple of shows that we listen to. The deconstruct the media constantly called No Agenda, and they they have a whole community of producers and people that fund them themselves. Mm -hmm. and uh and and it creates a whole open source uh system of of deconstructing the media
2: yeah that's that's exactly it creating a community where you have shared beliefs and assumptions and again maintaining a good faith effort and being honest with one another being intellectually honest with yourself i think that's the key to it but i think otherwise i think information, knowledge, and kind of the way we experience the world should be, ex- should be kind of ex- experienced and shared as a community and in a community. Cause when you are all on Twitter, you have no common vocabulary. You have no common assumptions. You have no common values. You're all talking, essentially you're using the same letters and sentence structure, but you're, you're speaking different languages. And then you end up with that insane cacophony. Just, there's no sense to it. It doesn't, it doesn't work. So I feel like this, this, kind of new, new phenomenon we're seeing of people forming communities around independent media. And around the, the the ideas that they find important, the topics that they love, that again, that is, it's so encouraging for me as someone who's studying media. Because you look at the alternative, which is traditional legacy media, and you're just like, oh god, like there's just no there's no coming back. There's no way for, to, uh, there's no way to see it getting better um, from where it is now because it serves itself so well. That's the real problem. Like the people who are at the top levels, or medium levels, or even the bottom levels of traditional legacy media are being served well by those, those institutions. The problem is that they're failing their audiences too much. They're failing the end user way too much. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they don't see it. That, that to me is the real kind of like yeah. f- red flag there. They don't see it.
1: So you think the destruction of the mainstream media is upon us now then, and it's just falling
2: apart. I think it's like an empire. I think it fades. And that's exactly what we're seeing a gradual crumbling and, you, you look at revenue numbers in in traditional media, legacy media their or audience numbers, you check, choose a metric and, you know, newsroom sizes. It doesn't matter what you choose. It's all a downward trend. It is. It just does not look good. And the, I don't know if they're showing any sign of a, a bottom. Maybe they've bottomed out at this point. Maybe not. But um, that's just what it is. The, the gates were broken open and now no one even knows that there are gates. And those outlets are not as relevant as they once were, um, by a long shot.
1: And once you once you see through it, like for example, all the chapters in your book there, and you show example after example after example of of this mm-hmm. fuckery. And once you see through it, you can't you can't wa- you can't watch it again. You can't you can't you can't yeah. watch the news anymore again. You can't see you can't see this. Yeah. You can't unsee it. You know.
2: Yeah, it gets really, it gets really, really, really hard. Um, but again, I do think, you know, this is a distinction that I draw because you got lots of in the New York Times and everywhere else, you have lots of reporters there that are that are very good and that really believe in what they're doing and serving democracy. But those are not the same people as the owners and the people who are controlling these media outlets, who have a vested interest that is much greater in their eyes than kind of gathering the facts, which is kind of this mundane, almost quaint idea to them. But, you know, even when I think about someone like an outlet like CNN, which has just thrown its hat in like so clearly without any abandon, just taking off all, all the restraints to to come in on opinion making. But then you see an article about that from CNN about the Uyghurs in China and the the repression and genocide being committed against the Uyghurs in China and interviewing a guard who had tortured people and you're like whoa that wow that's great reporting that is important that's like hard-hitting it's meaningful so you have that journalist at CNN who's just kind of like doing his or her job and I think that is the case not just in media but in all big business where you do have people in these institutions that are like they're good people. They're trying their hardest and they often do produce great stuff. But on a whole, that doesn't mean they're able to counteract the stuff that's coming down um, that's driven by ideology or interest, because that that's the real poison. I'm surprised about that. The CNN and the Uyghurs? When was that I was, recently? I was yeah, that was recent. That was like um, I almost feel like that was even yesterday, possibly. Uh, yeah,
1: I thought I saw something weird about that. And then the other thing was, I, I think I saw the Uyghurs where there was uh, <clears throat> some attention given to uh, a couple cases of, of, of coronavirus in the Uyghur community. And, I, of course, right away I'm thinking, oh, boy, what's going to happen now? There's a whole bunch of tourists getting trapped in that area with the Uyghurs, and uh, they're going to shut everything down. What's going to happen? Of course, mm-hmm. we've, been, we've been dealing with this. China issue on the show now and again. So of course, my mind's going to oh boy, here comes some more organ harvesting or another reason to shut uh, this whole uh, healthy population of Uyghurs away from the system. And uh, yeah. and then I'm, yeah. and then now to hear CNN go after it, it's like um, I, it's almost hard. I I, I can't even. Uh, it's like I, I can't even accept it. My mind won't even accept it. Yeah. CNN's approaching the Uyghurs. How does that even happen?
2: Yeah. And that's the scary part is that, you know, this is like you know one of the chapters in The Grey Lady Winked is about the Holocaust. The New York Times did not report on the Holocaust. They, if, there was a story that they got from Europe about 600,000 Jews being murdered and they put it in page A12 and they gave it like two or three inches of column space. They downplayed it for Ideological reasons, they downplayed it for business reasons as well. And that's exactly what you can see happening with the Uyghurs in the New York Times. Wow. Where you look at, like, just go to the New York Times website, they have a great search tool. You find the way that they spell Uyghurs, I think it's U U Y. And search and see the reporting that's gone on the last year. It's the softest, most indirect, th- third or fourth party. Like, what effect does this have on H H&M, brands like H and M in China? You know, what what are the Japanese thinking about uh, the situation diplomatically? Like, well, you think to yourself, wait a second, there is. Reportedly, a genocide going on against a minority population, ethnic minority in an authoritarian country, you would think this would be breaking news after breaking news day by day. Um, and if not day by day, then certainly week by week. But you look at the reporting that's come out of The New York Times on this topic, for instance, it's not just them, but them for instance, and you're going to see maybe 10 or 12 stories in the last year, and almost none of them Directly about what's going on, meaning how are they transported? What are they fed? What's being done to them? What is the, happening to their children? What's happening to their body? We don't know nothing. There is absolutely nothing. There's not even speculation. There's not even you know a, a, this steady drumbeat of, of opinion pieces talking about it. So they're all talking about uh, vaccines, and they're talking about things that you just think to yourself, who who cares? This is yeah. this is ir- irrelevant. So the, these are the same patterns playing themselves out over and over and over. And in the New York Times times case they've got deep investments in china they have a serious incentive to keep the ccp happy and to not run afoul of them because they're looking for their chinese edition is the only is the only foreign language edition of the new york times that's catered to another country and oh. they are trying to break into a market of 1.4 billion people really and Yeah. And that's that is I reported um, I reported this past summer on how they were stifling the debate on lab leak almost single handedly, how aggressive they were in the effort to discredit lab leak for the past year and a half. And you look at that, you look at the relationship with China, you look at the fact that Chinese propaganda outlets like China Daily have been paying legacy American news media companies advertising money running up to the millions of dollars in order to publish propaganda in their papers, in the papers of the Washington Post, the New York Times, um, and, and dozens of others, so you put all these pieces together, and that's this the same kind of shock that you're kind of like, how how is all this happening? And and it gets so far down the the road that you end up in a situation that you're in. Um, Graham, where you're where you're saying you see a piece of reporting that reporting that's actually seems objective and to fly in the face of the norm and you're and you are shocked. it's like it should be completely the opposite way around.
0: Yeah yeah Well, and then you got Bezos owns the post. is it the post? I think he owns the post right Washington So post. they're not going to talk right. about China because Bezos is making billions of dollars a fucking day off of China and is probably right. the number one contributor to pollution on the planet. If I had to That's pick right. a single person, it's Bezos. If I had to pick one guy, it, Bezos probably is polluting, causing more pollution, more ship tracks, more carbon, more everything else than fucking mm-hmm. SpaceX at this point. Right. Yeah, a
2: hundred percent. And so and, I don't know and, who
0: owns the Times, but I mean, we just had Ethan Hunt on, Ethan, uh, sorry, Ethan Gutman on last week, and he was talking about how this is uh, a a real Kinder a real uh, Tinder pile because he's like, here's the problem. He's like, the problem isn't now. He's like, the problem is when the war starts. So he's like, there's a real tiptoe between the West or NATO or whoever is opposing China right now, he thinks, because he <laughs> thinks that once this fucking, once it falls, mm-hmm. then there's not going to be any more pretending we're not killing Uyghurs. Mm-hmm. And it's he's like, I'm not calling it a genocide right now. He's like, I don't like to use that word because I think it'll it it uh, whatever. He has his own explanation. I won't paraphrase it for him. It's judgmental. But he thinks what we're, the problem is going to be is like when the war with China starts and they just start incinerating people on fucking mass. And he's like, he thinks there's a bit of tiptoe from the West right now on just how they can. The, his his take is the war with China is inevitable. And right mm-hmm. now the people that are posing them are trying to figure out how they can do this without 15 million people being killed in three weeks. Mm-hmm. Which is what his take is on the Uyghurs. He's like the whole organ harvesting, that's just because it's convenient. He's like, it's not about the whole organ harvesting. At the end of the day, they want these motherfuckers dead. And his mm-hmm. take on it is because it's this 200-year-old battle between the two different sort of sects over there. And that's that's what it's about. And that sort of he's like the the orphan harvesting is just a useful thing for them to do for now. When it when it when the war breaks out, he thinks he's gonna it's gonna make the Holocaust look like nothing. Which which just makes me wonder if you think these papers of record, do you think there's any tiptoeing? Like, do you think the State Department is talking to the any of these newspapers saying what they can run, what they can't run, things like that?
2: Okay. I don't think they need the state department to be, to play that role for them. I I feel like they have their business interests with China and their, their government. um, That's worse.
0: I think, you know, in some ways I'd rather it was the state as much as I don't trust the state, but at least there's some like national security thing there. Maybe somebody has a fucking plan as opposed to just don't fuck with the business model.
2: Yes, that's, that's exactly right. And when you look at, you know, I take, you take Bezos and Amazon and Washington Post, the, the amazon, amazoncom top to ter- amazon across the business half of t- its top ten thousand sellers are Chinese are based in china half when you look at their most profitable their their profit their profit engine their profit center of the entire company which is amazon web services their business their access to the Chinese market to grow aws is essential to their being able to remain in the number one spot in that incredibly incredibly competitive, but also very lucrative market that accounts for 47% of their profit annually. Wow. So they they already know the influences there. And also unlike dealing with, you know, some Chaotic and half inept democracy. You're dealing with a government that just has to make one decision in order to shut it all down. It's not like you know, you know. Let's say the the U.S. wants to kick out some foreign news agency like China Daily. You know that that would be a multi-year process in courts and appeals and lobbying and blah blah blah. And China, it's just one guy making the decision on one day, and it's over. So. And these companies have all experienced it, whether they're Google or Apple or Amazon or the New York Times or anybody else. They've all gone through that process of being shut down by the CCP. They all know how damaging it is and how easy it is. So the influence is really direct. And I think that is the problem. It's the problem that there is no one in the middle anymore. Hmm. Fascinating. Hmm.
1: What what else do you think... uh was it was it surprising to you how much you uncovered when you wrote this book? I mean it seemed like you wanted to yeah. ha, you've been wanting to write the book for a long time, but was it was it still mind-boggling to you how much you could you could pull out?
2: Yeah, it was it was pretty crazy. Um it was kind of like this bottomless bag of of weird surprises and um and being shocked a lot. And I think it's even you know what what even shocks me more is that you know, I went through a century of, of history right up to the present day. So starting at um, the the New York Times' relationship with the Soviet Union and their role, the role that they, the newspaper played in helping the early USSR get formal U.S. recognition by the American government to wow. be recognized as the legitimate government of the USSR. And the, so when, they when a- was that then? That was in the early 1930s. That was when that question was had arisen. And, you know, U.S., there was a sort of syndicate of American businesses and huge corporations that wanted that recognition to happen because they wanted access to that market. And if then if you had recognition, you had bilateral ties, you could have a trade agreement. And then all of a sudden, all these huge companies can start exporting to this massive market of 150 million people at the time, which was a lot. Um, and that was rapidly industrializing. It was the, the, probably the fastest industrializing nation at that time. So they were pushing hard for it. But at the same time, Stalin, who had just risen to power, had, in order to consolidate power in a very t- Stalinist manner, had started to kill or commit a genocide in the Ukraine. But in the, the method of genocide was starvation. He precipitated a famine called the Ukraine famine, that is thought to have killed between five and seven million people in two years. And the New York Times is a Russia correspondent, who's an infamous reporter named Walter Durante, covered it up. He said there was no such thing as a famine in the Ukraine. He denied the reporting of other journalists on the ground who said there was a famine happening. And of course, he knew all along that there was indeed a famine. He was a really smart guy. He was traveling around Russia. You could see it in front of your eyes. You could see people dying on the streets in the Ukraine um, from starvation. So why did he do it? Because the Times was part of that syndicate of businesses that wanted and in some ways needed to have the U.S. formally recognize the Soviet Union as the government of Russia— and when there was a gala, when that actually happened, FDR, who had been advised by Walter Durante that he ought to recognize the Soviets, when he finally went through with it, um, I think it was in 1933 and 1934, they had a gala event, a gala function with uh, the Soviet, the new Soviet ambassador, the new American ambassadors of the Soviet Union, the heads of Ford, the heads of J.P. Morgan, Chase, the heads of um, uh, a number of railroads, um, on and on and on and on. And the one man there who received a standing ovation was the New York Times' correspondent in Russia, because everybody in the room knew the U.S. government was not going to recognize a country that had just killed two or three or four or five million of its own people. It would never happen. Public opinion would not allow it. But the New York Times had taken care of that problem. They denied there was a famine. They're the most influential paper in the country. And they had just gave FDR enough of a reason to say, wait, the New York Times is saying there was no famine. So what do you want from me? And he did it. And that's exactly what happened. And that helped shoehorn Stalin into the position he plate for the next few decades in russia the ussr
0: which we seem all too happy to do when it's when it's uh, good for business
2: exactly that's exactly it and you get so is this now just a
0: repeat of that with china coming up and being probably the most obviously it's not probably obviously the quickest industrializing people on the planet and there's two billion of Mm -hmm. them and
2: a hundred percent. When you look, when you think about, ask that question that I was asking earlier about lab leak. Why would the media care? Like, why do they care one way or the other if it came from a Chinese lab or if it came from a, an animal? Like nobody knew. this. They started discrediting lab leak in January and February of 2020. 2020. That We didn't really even know there was a pandemic at the time. Already, they're laying those those uh, the groundwork for the discrediting of leak that went on for the next year and a half, and is still really going on today. And you ask yourself, why? What difference does it make? And that, of course, is the answer: is that these business interests are overpowering, and they, it becomes a culture in the media, it becomes a culture to think of China a certain way, to treat China a certain way, which is why we're not seeing headlines every week or every day about the Uyghurs because it doesn't fit with that culture. Um, And that's exactly, that's exactly it. What what is happening with China, what's happened with China over the last few decades in the media. And I think we're going to see more and more of that trend.
1: What about with the great, what about this great reset and everything that's happening right now, especially, you know, researching the new New York times and all these other big pieces and, the propaganda. I mean, do you see some some parallels going on with just forcing the narratives down our throat about you know whether it's like the next climate change lockdown or whether it's about uh, you know the war on meat, um, the great mm-hmm. reset. I mean, it seems like it's just one propaganda piece after after another coming after us here.
2: Yeah, that I, I absolutely do think that's it. I think there there is this um orthodoxy or set of orthodoxies um and conventions in in the media, but it's not just the media, as you guys have both pointed out. This is like, you know, it, it used to be when we talked about media freedom, we meant freedom from interference and and um just interruption or by the government, right? The domestic government. Yeah. But that's no longer the case. No one's worried about the government interfering with the with the American media, at least, because the dynamic has gone the other way around. It's become like this kind of symbiosis, this like coagulation of government and media and big business, all kind of globbed into this one thing, carrying a single message most of the time. And it's like disturbing to watch it because what what the media seem to have got it, forgotten is that it's not just essential that the media be free, as in free from government interference. It's also essential that the media be independent, meaning independent of outside or even in, internal influence, undue influence. And that is where we very much have gotten to, is that there is a single set of messaging. And in this case, let's say with LabLeak, it happened to really not just match, but it echoed the messaging coming out about lab leak from China, from the Chinese government. And that's where you see all these things really nicely aligned, because, of course, those business interests that the Chinese are using so well as a lever are not just used with the American business Uh, Sector or the media, but also within the American government itself, of course. So that is why all these things align so nicely. They seem disparate, but when you look at them that way and you follow this chain of incentives, you see it all flows the same way. It's all part of the same stream. The American media, American big business, the U.S. government, and the CCP – um, have aligned more or less on key issues, and, and that's why lab leak is such an important story because it reveals to the extent to which that is true.
1: Huh? And Canada's right in there. I mean, like we're we're funded. I mean, the government put in what 1.6 billion, I think, into our media. I mean, we're it's a one message. It's like just exactly what you described. You know, one message going one way here, and mm-hmm. it seems to be always against the people. And it seems to be like when reading your book, it seemed to be, is against freedom. It's against the people. It's this, this narrative that's just, a, it's a pushing back against what's best for us, it seems. I don't know.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's kind of like this weird form of crowd control, like a, a in, you know, psychological crowd control where it's like, you, you, they they just want to make sure everyone stays safe they yeah. just want to make sure that there's not a stampede here. Yeah. And what they're doing is that they're using the facts and using the truth in order to achieve those ends. And in some cases, they're just it's more nakedly about power, like the 1619 project the New York Times came out oh, with, that which was, was a
1: great little chapter in your book there.
2: Thank you, thank you. I feel like that—that's such an important one because it's still happening today. And you know, for people who don't know about it, the New York Times came up with this big initiative that was called the 1690, still is called the 1619 Project, and it was about reframing American history and the American story from liberty, you know, being founded in 1776 to slavery, which 1619 was the year that slaves were first brought to the American colonies. So they're saying this is a slaveocracy you have in America. It's not a democracy. It's not defined by liberty. It's defined by slavery. And when you look around the country today, you're just seeing the remnants of the artifacts and the echoes and in some cases, the actual power structures of a slaveocracy still in place. And this entire project, to, to make this crazy assertion, they had to twist facts. They had to twist history to the extent that their own fact checkers, including a very prominent professor of African-American history named Leslie Harris at Northwestern University, who is herself an African-American woman, told them that one of their core claims, which is that the American Revolutionary War was fought to preserve slavery, was just plain false. And she reported that they ran it anyways. They made the claim anyways. And People were sort of shocked by this, and I never was shocked by it because I was thinking to myself, if you're trying to change history, you literally have to change it. You literally have to go and change the facts. You literally have to change the dates that we've gone from 1776 to 1619. And that's exactly what they are doing. And they're doing this in a way that kind of mirrors or delivers on this new set of kind of subversion that we're seeing across American mainstream culture in academia, the media, of course, branding, uh, uh, marketing and retail. Everything has embraced this kind of the same kind of flip. And The New York Times has been leading the way with something like the 1619 Project. But not only that, of course, there's, there's much more. You seen specific
1: funding for that kind of thing from guys like Soros or anything like that? It really smacks like this cultural engineering from from guys like him. I mean,
2: mm-hmm. yeah. Um, yeah, that's a, that's actually a, a very good question. Um, it, it's something I'll look into because the sixteen nineteen project won a Pulitzer actually for for all of its egregious errors oh and God. and bad faith. And we're talking again, we're talking about the point where um, a dozen or more. Prominent liberal historians from major American institutions like Yale and Harvard and Dartmouth are, are signing letters to the New York Times saying what you have written is wrong. What you have written is false. We believe in the same things you believe in and the values you believe in, but what you're doing here is wrong. And they have still proceeded. And they want a Pulitzer for that. And that's a great question that you ask because, you know, the, the New York Times is getting funding for the 1619 Project because they are now making it into an educational agenda. They've turned it into a curriculum that they are spreading through schools across the U.S. Um, They're spreading it into adult education through infotainment, through podcasts, through um, deals they have with major broadcasters. And they are trying to really kind of just seep this into the culture, and they're doing a good job, but it does require a lot of money, it requires institutional support to do something that big and i I have no doubt they are getting it, and it's a great question to ask from whom. Maybe
0: China What was that? Maybe China
2: you know in in indirect ways, I don't think that's a stretch by any means, and maybe even direct.
0: It seems to be when you got that many people, that much money, that much power, it's just unlimited, you know, like you could just be literally be throwing millions and millions of dollars all over the place every day.
2: Yes, which is exactly, exactly what's going on. And the New York Times, um, they have a media columnist, very prominent media, media journalist named Ben Smith. And a few weeks back, he wrote this really big column about how China is using that money to influence news organizations around the world um, in all these countries. He mentioned the Philippines, and I think there there was um, Spain, there was something Italy, um, but he didn't mention anything about America. And you're thinking to yourself, whoa, guy, you just wrote this whole column about China using its money to influence media around the world. You're saying, except in America, like you didn't even like mention that you didn't even bring it up. Never like, let alone the New York times itself, which, okay, fine. We could give him a pass for that. but, didn't even talk about the American media. And again, when you think you see these glaring omissions, you're like, okay, well, I think we all know what's going on there. Maybe we don't know the mechanics. Maybe we don't know which exactly how the money flows where or when. But we do know that influence is being felt and being exerted at the same time.
1: Yeah, Darren, you got anything else?
0: Any any end in sight?
2: Um, no, you know, I think it's like like I'd said before, like when you watch an empire. Disintegrate takes time. It takes it's just a gradual thing. But I think in the meantime, we are seeing this great move towards independent media, independent journalism. You know, you have reporters from The New York Times, from The Washington Post, from NPR going out on their own they are putting up their own shingle on Substack or yeah. whatever platform they're using. And they're, they're just doing their own thing. And like, these are serious people and they're doing great work. Um, Andrew Sullivan and Barry Weiss and Matt Taibbi and the, there's, there's Glenn Greenwald. There's tons of them out there. And I think that is, you know, it's not the end in sight. I think that's the beginning that's in sight that we're seeing the beginning of something really new, something we've never seen before. We don't know exactly how it's going to unfold. I think of course, Crypto and blockchain will be playing a role in, in news media, for sure. We don't know how. Um, so I think this is all about new beginnings. I think that's really where the focus is.
1: Excellent. What, what else are you going to... You got another book coming up uh, in the future? Or what? how long are you going to talk about this one for?
2: Um, I, yeah, I've got a book coming, um, a novel, actually, a novel um, a few years ago. Um, I, my best friend from childhood went hiking in Nicaragua and disappeared, never came back. Oh my God. Um, so I went to go, I went there for a few months to investigate and to try to find answers to understand. I mean, he was eventually, his body was found like a month later, but I wanted to understand what had happened. So I did that and I came back and I, it sort of inspired me to think of a, a, a story that's fiction. Um, but that's inspired by my search for answers. So that novel will be coming out uh, next year. And after that, I will be thinking about the next book on media, but it'll be a book, you know, this was a very much a book about, you know, let's look at, let's shine the light on the media today and see what's wrong, see the rust, see all the rickety parts. And then I think it's what comes next is a book about what is the future of media? What are the positive trends? What are the technologies that are going to matter to us? What is the new media going to look like? Because we, I think all agree that something is does not only have to change but is already changing or has already changed so i want to help people think through what that v2
0: might look like you have a website or social media accounts or anything like that our listeners can follow you on
2: yeah definitely um for the book check out the gray lady winked and that's gray with an a and not an e that's the american spelling is with an a um, on Twitter, I'm Ashley Rinsberg and that's, uh, R I N D S B E R G. It's my handle. And, um, you know, check out the book on Amazon, wherever you like to buy books. That's, you know, you see some reviews there. Um, and those are good starting points, I'd say.
1: Awesome, buddy. This has been, this has been a great chat. I love the book and
2: thank you guys so much.
0: everybody. Yeah.
2: It's been awesome. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. And, and thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Right on, Ashley.
0: Thanks for coming on the show, and we hope you have a good rest of your week.
2: You guys as well, and uh, Graham, feel well. Thanks, buddy. Bye All right.
0: for now. And that was our chat with Ashley Rinsberg. What'd you think, buddy? Yeah, it was great.
1: Yeah, it was just as good as can be expected. Yeah, it was a fantastic book. <laughs> I was just—I was thinking about you lots because they were talking about the. Soviets and the World War Two stuff, and I thought, oh man, Darren would dig this part of the book.
0: So you're back in the saddle. Graham's back.
1: You still uh, sound yeah, pretty yeah, I'm rough. Almost. I'm almost what?
0: He still sound pretty rough.
1: Yeah, I'm a little. Uh, yeah, I'm. 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 I'm coming back.
0: He's limping back.
1: Coming back, baby. Yeah.
0: Limping back. Maybe by next week we'll have him back in the studio.
1: Oh yeah, Well, yeah. Today's uh, maybe, gonna be a big yeah, day
0: for him. Know. We'll see if it lays him back out. Big thanks to Ashley for coming on the show. Big thanks to you guys for listening. Even bigger thanks if you're one of the few who'd choose to support the work. GrandAmerica.ca slash support. If you can head there today, make a one-time donation, sign up for a monthly. Maybe head over to GrandAmericaOutlaw.ca and check out our other show over there. AdultBrain.ca for all the audiobooks. books. slash chats. Join the chats. We love you guys. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. Somehow
3: I built a rocket ship Out of the stuff dreams are made and popsicle sticks Please look at my rocket ship schematics Tell me it can fly to the moon, tell me I'm not a lunatic I bet, I bet, I bet, I bet you think I'm a space cadet I bet, I bet, I bet you think, I bet you think I'm a space cadet No regret, I do not fret, cause I am a space cadet In my hands I have a gas can and mash This earth is my home, but I need a vacation. From all the sadness, the chaos, and traumatics. I'll let you do the countdown. Three, two, one, no hesitation. I bet, I bet, I bet.